Are you exploring starting a company? Well, we've got a program for that. ODF has helped 1,000 companies like Traba, Levels, and Finch get started and go on to raise over $2 billion. Applications for our 20th cohort in San Francisco, which kicks off later this month, are now open. Learn more and apply at beyonddeck.com. Hey everybody, Julian here, co-founder of OnDeck, and I'm really excited about today's episode with Sasha Orloff, the founder and CEO of Puzzle. Puzzle is building accounting software specifically for startups. And I know what you're thinking, accounting software, really, is that gonna be interesting? The answer is absolutely. Sasha has built multiple successful businesses and Puzzle is on an absolute tear. He understands exactly what your business needs to be successful. And the thing about accounting software is that understanding the financial health of your business is one of the most important things you can do as the CEO of a startup, regardless of the stage of the company. It enables you to understand where you can invest money, how much money you can invest, It helps you understand when you should be thinking about follow-on rounds. It helps you understand the flow of cash through your business. And it's essential to have this information when you go to raise price rounds or when you go to potentially sell your business to an acquirer. Now, Puzzle makes it super simple. All you have to do is create an account and then link a bunch of your other accounts. And Puzzle starts to automatically pull in all the information and sort it into all of the places that it needs to be sorted so that you can slice and dice and learn a lot from every single transaction that you have in all of your associated accounts. It really is magical. Now, if you're an ODF or you're an alumni, you can go to our perk section and access a special perk where you'll save hundreds of dollars on Puzzle and you'll also get onboarded by a CPA. Again, Puzzle is incredibly important for your startup journey, and the best time to sign up for it is right after you incorporate. The second best time is right now. Anyways, this is going to be a great episode. We talk about so many things, not just about accounting and about financial health for your business, though that's a really important topic, and we touch on a lot of really juicy parts of it. We also talk about the journey of building startups, investor updates, how to think about fundraising, how to think about runway and a whole lot more. Sasha is an incredible guest. He's got so much knowledge about early stage startups, both as a multi-time founder and an investor. This is not one to miss. I hope you have your notebooks out because this is one to take notes on. Enjoy. Well, hey, Sasha, I'm really glad to have you here. I'm really glad to be wearing my puzzle socks. I'm really uh, glad to be wearing my on-deck socks. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, thank you for the gift. Well, listen, uh, it's really exciting because uh, obviously we've got this partnership with Puzzle, and that's part of what we're announcing. Um, but I think that it's always fun to talk to you because there's so many interesting opportunities to learn about the things that are kind of unknown unknowns for founders. And oftentimes, when people look at what you're building and sort of like the space that you're in, which is accounting, um, they start to think about, this is a thing that I can punt on. This is a thing I can focus on later. Um, I don't need to necessarily pay much attention to this in the early days. How, how should founders actually think about like accounting and like understanding their, their financials in the early days of starting a company? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. And one of the things, I think if I 
if I tell the story about Puzzle, I think it like brings to light uh, because having founded a couple companies before, one of the silver linings of making so many mistakes is I just have a lot of stories of things that like, why didn't I know that? And why didn't that go better? When you become a founder, you usually do it because you're passionate about solving a problem. Yeah. And then when you step into the CEO role, you realize there's all these additional responsibilities that you just have to do, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And one of the things that is both really time consuming, very expensive, and very distracting is accounting. And I've known that because I scaled two companies that grew to over 100 million of revenue. And through that entire process, you look at the number of headcount and the dollar cost of what it takes just to understand what your cash flow position is. And it doesn't matter whether you're a bootstrap company and you're just like, I'm building this for myself. And you have to know how much can you pay yourself and what should you be doing with that other money that you're making. Or if you are not profitable yet and you're hoping to be profitable, or if you're going to raise venture capital, any way in which you're going to build and grow a company for whatever reason, you need to understand your cash flow. You need to understand how to make decisions with your money. And then there's just all this compliance stuff. You need to file taxes every year to multiple states and multiple jurisdictions. And it's complicated. Um, and there's all these other things that you have to do just the moment that you incorporate. And, and that is something that we want to make super easy. It feels like sort of this meta problem where when you're starting a company, you're doing it because you want to solve a, a particular problem or you want to build a business, but you don't necessarily know or think about, I'm going to have to do all of this stuff related to health insurance and, and, and taxes and things like that. But ultimately, this is like one of the key parts of being successful with a company. If you screw all these things up, it doesn't matter how good your product is in some ways. You're going to be in a lot of trouble and you're going to be liable for a lot of money, probably. So how should people think about like getting started with like understanding their financials and like actually being at a good place and a good foundation? And and also, maybe you should talk a little bit about how, how much work that is involved in the beginning, because I think that sometimes we shy away from things that seem both inscrutable and also unclear how long it's going to take or how much time and effort and, and money it's going to cost. Yeah. Um, the moment that you incorporate your company, you have to track every dollar. And that is usually done with humans measuring every dollar in and out of your business. And there's specific guidelines about how to do that. For instance, called your tax laws, your generally accepted accounting principles, and your IS tax laws. Um, we try and make it at Puzzle so easy that all you have to do is connect your bank account, your credit card, your payroll, if you have them, your Stripe account, for example, if you're generating revenue. And it is almost entirely automated behind the scenes. And over the past four years, we've made it such that it takes, on average, two and a half minutes to sign up. You need no expertise in accounting, finance, or compliance to get everything started. And the system does almost all the work behind you. And then when you get to a critical moment where it becomes a hair on fire problem, because you have to file your taxes, you want to go raise venture capital, you need to get bank debt, or whatever reason, you can just literally hire, we vetted dozens of bookkeepers, accountants, tax professionals, R&D tax experts. You just press a button and it's on demand. So we've made it as seamless as possible so that you can spend the most amount of your time building your company and using data for your most important decisions along the way. 
So we've worked really hard to get it down. We like measure it literally in seconds for onboarding and how to make it as seamless and easy as possible. Um, and now we have, and we have thousands of founders who have previously known nothing about accounting, tax law. You don't need to know anything. All you have to do is know your username and password for read-only permissions, answer a couple questions like, what's your company name? And what's your industry? And what's your business model? Are you generating revenue yet? Very simple questions that everybody, every founder will know. Um, it takes two and a half minutes. That's it. That's awesome. I mean, it feels like in some ways, this is about getting you prepared for the future, for future events, for financings, for taxes and things like that. And sort of setting something up that, that takes two and a half minutes gets you to a place where when you actually need to have this information, you're not scrambling, you're not trying to pull it all together and sort of doing it all retroactively uh, is really painful. I could also say that every time I talk to a founder who's writing an investor update that's like really late, like it's like a quarter late and they're trying to reconcile just the things that happened in the last quarter, uh, it's really difficult. So when you're trying to like reconcile and understand all this money that was spent, you know, months ago or maybe a half a year ago, it becomes super difficult. And I, it also reminds me a little bit of like Google Docs and how Google Docs is really hard to organize. Um, but but what you're doing is you're essentially saying, no, we don't need you to like create your own folders and, and structures and things like that. You could just go in and then you could actually have all the things in the places that you need them formatted in the way that you need. Is, is that is that sort of a, a good analysis or, or is that am I, am I missing something there? No, you're that's right. We have a whole team of like tax accountants and CPAs and tax lawyers and auditors. All of the people who think about things at every stage of the company. We have 200 CFOs that have venture back CFOs that have invested in the company, and we drew on all of them through research and interviews and prototyping for years to get it to a place where it's all just ready for you, available in real time. So, like technically, when you're writing your investor update, it's not all just pure accounting. Like to its core. The accounting is the generation of two very specific static reports called a profit and loss statement, something called an income statement, and a balance sheet. And like it's this very specific way to look at it. But when you're writing your investor update, rarely are you just sending over your financial statements. You're like, what's my ARR? Not in financials. What's my burn? Not in accounting. What's my runway? Not in accounting. What's like, what are my top vendor spends? What's recurring? What's happening? What's my cash flow? All of this stuff, not part of accounting. So again, we said, well, we're not just stopping in accounting because as a founder, I care about other things. Yeah. What do investors care about? Other things, not just pure accounting. Um, and so we bundled all of this into a single package at Puzzle where, again, you sign up and we just generate these things for you so that you are always constantly aware of the things that you need. So pulling up my investor update used to take a couple hours. Yeah. Um, and now it takes a couple minutes. Um, and it's really not the preparation of your accounting and your financial statements that's valuable. It's the, what does this mean? Mm. And so what we did was we took it one step further and said, you don't just get your burn metric. You can literally click on it all the way down to the individual transaction. So again, you don't need to know anything. About, you don't need to read a thing about what is a burn formula. It's there. And to understand it, it's not about reading more blog posts. It's literally just clicking it all the way down to like, Oh, what's my software expense? Oh, Julian spent money on this Slack subscription for this amount. He prepaid it for the year. So we automatically divide it up over the year and parse it out to the proper expenses along the way. All of this stuff is as long as you know how to click, you can understand your financial health better than any place ever before. 
It's really incredible. I mean, it's 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 interesting because it draws the parallel between like personal health and and business financial health and like understand these are almost like biomarkers or something of your business. Though my entire family is in medicine, I'm the outcast uh, (laughs) child that went into business. But I think there there are a lot of parallels between personal health and financial health, and so. You can not know your financial health, your your personal health, yeah. and and hopefully, you know, you live a long life and you sure. live a healthy life. Um, you can understand that eating healthy and exercise is like gonna help, and you can do these things, but you don't know your true health um, unless you really understand. And so, I think your financial health is the same thing. Like you can know your revenue is there and uh, is X number, but if you don't know why it's there, are you going to be able to continue to repeat that? And are you going to have the proper gross margin to know that you're building a successful business. Um, And the outcome of this, what usually happens in the worst case scenario is you run out of money and you didn't realize it. That's the worst case scenario. And that happens more often than you think. Yeah. The worst, worst part of it is actually you're spending years building a business that will never, ever be healthy. And so you're spending your most valuable commodity in life, which is your time building a business that doesn't have a supporting gross margin to make a profitable business. Never has line of sight of being cash flow positive. You won't be able to fundraise. And you've spent years and years and years building something that's just not viable. Uh, and, and that, to me, is the worst thing uh, because you can't get that time back um, and you just could be doing it unaware. So we'll go back to just tell a story to bring this to life. So I started this in On Deck. Uh, I'm forever grateful as a at the time, a solo founder, um, starting a company, passionate about idea, exploring, refining, getting into a place. And um, sometimes you just take for granted the knowledge that you know, and you're learning about other people know. And there was somebody else in my batch who was selling a a physical good. And um, they had a 30% gross margin. And they were like, holy moly, I'm so excited. Like people are paying me a 30% premium over the cost. And I was like, you're going to go bankrupt. You're never going to be able to fund this business. You don't have a viable business. They're like, I'm making a 30% gross margin. And I was like, I mean, that's, there's no hope of you building a business that's successful. It's not because it wasn't a great product. It wasn't because they weren't able to sell a couple things. It's just not possible to fund or sustain a business like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will indefinitely lose money unless there's some, alternative like you never want to pay yourself a salary and like you're never gonna you're on your free aws plan or you're on like this free website but as soon as like you have a real business you're gonna go out of business expenses and and they just didn't know it's not any fault of theirs they just they didn't know what good looked like and they didn't know how to measure it um and that is just so painful because these are easy lessons to say right so then we went in and we spent some time like all right how do we fix costs and how do we like think about pricing Right, and now I see them at conferences every once in a while and these like founder events. It's like super fun. So these little piece of knowledge that you're like, oh, it's like, I don't know how much that hurts you. It can really, really hurt you. It's kind of like when you when you change the, the direction at that point, even just by a couple of degrees, it can change the outcome so significantly because the outcome is so far off away in the distance. So, okay, so we we're talking a little bit about like these uh, these biomarkers, business biomarkers, health biomarkers. What are like, you know, in health, there's leading indicators of health issues, right? LDL or HbA1c. What are some of the, you, you talked a little bit about gross margin. What are some other sort of leading indicators that would be of concern or to really pay attention to, uh, you know, as a founder in the early days? 
I mean, the, the first thing that's going through my mind is what are those biomarkers? I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And I need to Google uh, like, that like and figure glucose, it out. Like no, no. I mean, I, I, I'm to some degree, I'm, I'm joking around, but it's the same thing. It's like, if you don't know implicitly what those things mean, you're going to like read a blog post. It's probably going to be somewhat confusing. It might lack context. And then you're just going to be somewhat overwhelmed. And then you're going to deal with the other seven hair on fire problems that you have when you open up your inbox, your Slack, your text messages, or your signal or whatever else you're looking at. Um, when you think about some of the leading indicators for your financial health, uh, some of the things that you want to start with, um, and it depends on whether you're going for a bootstrap or a venture-backed company. Let's just assume we're going for a venture-backed company. We have a big ambitious vision and money's going to accelerate it. Some of the leading indicators, you start at the top of your financial statement and you work your way down. So you start with revenue. Am I making revenue? Uh, it's very hard to build a profitable business if nobody's paying you and you can't generate any revenue. Uh, so you start at the top with revenue and then you work your way down and there are some expenses that are just associated with selling that revenue. Mm -hmm. And there's a cost of revenue. If you're selling a physical good, it's cost of goods sold. What does it take to actually manufacture or deliver that revenue to the customer? And that's where you get your gross margin. And that's the first kind of indicator of health. And you don't get this just by looking at your Stripe or just by looking at your Ramp or your Mercury or your Brex or your Gus or whatever. You need the combination of these things to come together to understand your financial health. So then you start looking at, do I have a healthy margin enough to build a sustainable business? Because after that, you have operational costs. Like I'm a CEO. Mine is an operational cost. Not very helpful for the business, just a drag and a drain, just like every other CEO yeah. out there. And then you have some infrastructure costs. You might have an office. You might have you know rent. You might have meals, travel, plans. There's these operational expenses to run a business. So you need to have enough money that you're making on each incremental sale to not just make more of that thing, but to pay for the cost of doing business. And at some point over time, you probably want to either sell the business or get investors. And so you need that value to increase. So that's where you start looking at the change in business or the growth rates. And so those are the basic sort of markers. When you then start looking at trends over time, it could be things like um, ARR over time or what's the breakdown between new customers and existing customers. Are people upselling? Are they buying more? Are they coming back, depending on your business? Uh, and so you go through all of these mix of trends, your burn multiple, what's your sales efficiency. Um, you think about what these look like over time because that gives you a sense, are you make getting better? So just because you might have a bad gross margin today, that's not bad. Every business has to start somewhere, uh, but can you improve it? So if you had a 35% margin business, can you get it up to 85%? And what are the ways to get up there? We have to be more efficient in your marketing spend. You have to be more efficient in your operational spend. You have to maybe play around with pricing, segment your customers better, understand what the value drivers are. All of these things are okay. And we have a whole industry of venture capital that come help you fund to get to that better place. But you have to be intentional. So if you go to fundraise and you don't know that maybe 30% gross margin is a bad business and your investors are like, you know, this is unfundable, it might be true. But if you right. can come with a credible plan to say, here's how we're going to get there and here's how this money helps us get to that place. Maybe at a certain scale, I can drop costs because I get scale pricing or something like that. These are all totally acceptable things, but you have to be able to have these credible answers. And then the balance sheet, um, which is the other financial statement, um, is effectively at all intents and purposes, your true sense of the value of a company. Most founders and investors first start looking at your profit and loss statement because it's the early indication of financial health, but your balance sheet is the thing that accountants love. And I've learned to appreciate a lot more because it shows you your actual cash 
the actual equity value that you're creating in the company. And it shows you all of the money that you haven't paid yet, but you owe, or the money that hasn't paid to you, but somebody is is expected to pay you. So it's sort of the true sense of your cash position. Think about it a bit like your personal check bank account. Yeah. Like your bank account has cash in it, but you might have some credit card bills that are due. You might have some upcoming expenses like a mortgage or like a big payment, or you might have future income that hasn't hit your bank account yet. Those are all okay, but this is your sort of true sense. Like if, if the world stopped and we looked right now to determine the value of you, it's like what's in your bank account and what owes you and what what, what people owe you. So I think, I think that a lot of people think about runway um, and they have various opinions about it and thoughts around it. You know, you've built a number of companies. Um, you've worked, I think, and invested in a bunch of companies. What would you say people get wrong about runway and about, and about thinking about it in terms of maybe raising more money or? I, I love this question because it's there's no right answer. And anytime there's no right answer, the more prepared you are, uh, the more, when you're fundraising at least, there's no like right or wrong answer. The more prepared you are, the more chances uh, that it increases your your ability to raise money and to think about it. I think about runway in the term of how it relates to goals and milestones. And so there's no right answer to what the right burn is or what the wrong burn is. And there's no right or wrong answer to what the right runway is or what the wrong one is. Uh, maybe I'll take one caveat. There's one place in which there's the wrong amount of runway when you're fundraising and that's when you have none of it because there's an incredible power uh, asymmetry between investors and founders. Founders are invested in like they want to raise money. They want to build a huge company. They have a big ambitious idea and investors want to wait till the very last minute to fund you because the longer they wait, the more likely they're going to own more of your company for less money. As far as we have the opposite incentive, we want to own the most amount of our company. And we want to get diluted the least amount. And so what your milestones compared to your runway do is it shows you're intentionally spending your money to increase shareholder value. Uh, and that's ultimately the goal of what we're trying to do. Create more value, create make our company more valuable and keep more of it as a founder. I want to give away the least amount possible to investors. I want to own the most amount of it. Well, I mean, I want to share it with the employees and like we sure. all win together, but like I, the same company with a slightly different story, with a slightly different amount of runway, can be the difference between 5, 10, even 20% selling of a company. Um, and so I'm, I'm maximizing the minimum amount of capital I need and the minimum amount of dilution to hit my milestones with a little buffer. How have you seen this play out? I mean, at OnDeck, it seems that you know people who are operating with, let's say, call it definitely under, under six months of runway, before they go out to fundraise, unless they have like the strongest momentum and incredible growth, um, they seem to be operating at a significant disadvantage. And then there are people who who have significant amount of runway, and they're kind, you know, they go out and they raise because they have that momentum. And they and I think it's ultimately it comes down to momentum, no matter what, in some ways. But when you put yourself in that place where you're, you know, six months, you know, and, and fundraising could take a couple of months, depending on sort of how you're telling your story and, and where you are in that process. Uh, what do you what do you think about that? Like, have you seen have you seen any sort of examples of this play out um, in interesting ways? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> this is I think there's a couple really interesting aspects to thinking about fundraising as it pertains to runway. And one is just the the um, underestimating the amount of time it takes to fundraise. I think most people, you read headlines and you're like, everybody is fundraising. This is like crazy easy. It must have come you, together in two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go out and you realize um, it's really hard. Um, 
and and sometimes so it just it takes longer than you expect. So I think that's one lesson. The second lesson is there are things that are out of your control. And so even the best laid plans, if you don't have a contingency plan, can derail a fundraising. So I'll just give you two easy examples. Um, one is if you don't know that almost every VC takes off the month of September <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to fundraise in September. And you're like, no, they're going to have their offsites and they're going to be like bawling on their private planes and their vineyards doing whatever along the way. And you can't get a meeting in the month of September. Like, oops, like what you don't know can hurt you. The second one is the world can change really quickly out of your control. And so you can have everything lined up and you can go out and then all of a sudden Sam Altman gets ousted to open AI. There's no meetings that are taking place because everybody's eating popcorn and looking at Twitter all day long. And so these are just the realities of the world. I went out and I remember we raised money the day later in 2016 in one of my last companies, the capital markets froze literally hours away from not being able to raise forever. If you went out to raise, heaven forbid, on September 12th of 2001, like done for two years, you're not fundraising at all. Um, and so the best laid plans, there are factors out of your control. Wars, government interventions, capital markets, the Federal Reserve decides to raise interest rates and the world freezes. Like it doesn't matter how good your businesses are, where you are, like it's just not happening. And then the, the third one is if you don't have the network and the story and everything perfect, due diligence just takes too long. And so we have seen people lose term sheets because they don't have their financial statements. Yeah. Literally what a terrible thing to happen. Um, similarly, I think uh, people that have built business for, you can have a similar thing to like a SOC too. You spend years getting this partnership and they're like, show me that you're secure. It's not like in that moment you're popping out a SOC 2 audit. That takes months to do. You're not just popping out like financial statements for auditors in like a couple minutes. I mean, you can get a draft version and puzzle in like minutes, but like that didn't exist before. Yeah. Uh, and so what do you do? Like term sheets don't wait around for months. It's not like investors are sitting there going like, God, if I just had the perfect version of this particular problem, like they're looking at a whole sort of diverse problems. So maybe it leads to number four, which I don't usually say out loud because it sounds kind of mean, but I guess it's the reality is you think of yourself as like, I'm building the best version of this problem solution. And you are probably, um, but you're not competing against people just looking for that problem. You're competing against world-class founders going out to capital. You're competing against Parker Conrad and Sam Altman and like the icons of the industry that are going out to raise capital those that's hard, right? Yeah. They're prepping, they're experienced, they know what to do, they have big ambitious visions. So you're, you're not necessarily competing against people in your space. You're competing against the world of every possible investment, period. It's interesting because I think it's um I think it's like in zero to one or something where where he talks a little bit about like restaurants are so undifferentiated, like people are gonna be you're competing against every type of restaurant. In some ways, in this world, at this point in the stage of your building your company when it comes to fundraising, you kind of are an undifferentiated restaurant. Like in the sense that people are looking at what restaurant they want to go to. And if your restaurant has a long wait or something with with the accounting information, you're uh you're you might you might lose out to the the ramen shop down the street or something. Totally. Uh, Imagine your whole livelihood depended on this one meal and there's only one restaurant that served one dish and you're waiting in line with everybody else and you get to the front and they're like, um, show me your financial statements to get in. And you're like, what? Like, and you're like, 
I didn't know that I needed that. It's like, well, cool. I don't care if you knew that or not. Next customer. Peace out. Like there's somebody right behind you that is an investable opportunity along the way. Like it's just the way life works. I've definitely, I've definitely seen this where people are scrambling intelligence to get this stuff that they could have just had in place much earlier. And that probably wouldn't have taken much effort, but now it's going to be, have a much higher potential for error. Um, having it, having it right, you know, generated right then. Um, and also it just creates all of this chaos that that's completely unnecessary internally. At its core, I think if we strip away everything else, it's your net worth. You spend your time and your effort to build a company to solve a problem. It's part of your identity. It's part of your, hopefully your like legacy, your financials, your employees' livelihoods, their ability to um, fund and generate their personal wealth and their livelihood investors and you make this one like mistake and you're like well i didn't know better and you're just diluting yourself unnecessarily or you're gonna put your money you're gonna put your business at risk and go out of business just because you're like well I, I didn't know well tough tough you didn't know you're hiring people this is their life they're coming to help you work on this idea that you had this is your net worth this is what you're building this is part of your legacy this is your livelihood your partners are trusting you with building on top of your system or partnering with you to solve problems in ways that you can uniquely solve together better than you can solve for a part. And you're going to make some of the most important decisions based on your gut or ignore them entirely. That's just unnecessary. It's a solvable problem. I think the thing that scares me the most when I meet founders is when they're flippant about this stuff. And because it's like, it's so important for making your teammates feel like, they have stability and that you have a good handle on sort of the situation with the company. And if you start to have these situations happen where surprise, surprise, like there's a, there's a big sort of a gap in terms of how much money you thought you had and how much money you actually have. And these sorts of things like could be devastating for team morale and they could, they could potentially be fatal. But uh, even if they aren't, it's just, uh, it's just something that's like hard to recover from in terms of trust and like rebuilding that. Yeah. I mean, you probably have, more exposure than almost anybody for ambitious people starting on their journey to start a company. I mean, like, what do you, what do you see? Cause yeah. to me, I guess the, the reason I get to ask is the takeaways. When we talk with second time founders, we get about halfway through the first sentence of what we're doing and they're like, sign me up. Yeah. And we talk to first time founders, especially those like in the Valley that have ambition of being venture backed. Um, and they ask questions like, do I have to file taxes? And they're like, yeah, every year, the moment you incorporate, you have to start doing this. Where, like, how do, when do I do this? And what do I have to do? And is this important? Can I do this in my bank account or my what? And you're like, no. Like, do you expect Bank of America to file your personal taxes? No, of course not. Um, but like, what are you, like, you see these trends. What, what are some of the things outside of finance and accounting? But like, we can include that too. But what are some of the things that you see? I think there's, there's two types of founders, really. There's like, the founders who really want to learn these types of things and the ones who are just really in this um, for sort of the glamour of building a company. And I don't think that those ones, those ones are going to last very long. I think the ones that are like earnestly aware that they aren't, they don't know everything and that they need to learn a bunch of things are the ones that ultimately are really successful. Um, it, it, I think that maybe the, maybe this, the second category, they kind of can luck out if they just absolutely like hit it and they just find like the right thing. And it's just sort of meteoric. And it's kind of like, you know, I, I like to say that like in some ways product market fit is, um, everything can go wrong, um, in some ways and, and it could, you could still have a lot of success, but 
I do think there's something to be said for being aware and like trying to seek out answers to questions that you that you don't know. And, and some people seem to be in, in some ways almost like overly cautious. But I think it's like in, in some ways it's better to like make sure that you're getting these things set up and you're getting your foundation right. Because if you don't get your foundation right, then you're going to have to do all this sort of retroactive stuff that is super painful and really difficult. This goes way beyond sort of accounting and things like that, just to like the general mimicry of like what's at what's happening out there what are you reading online what are you seeing when you go to a different different events are you seeing people talking about you know setting up a good foundation for their business are you seeing them talking about their fundraise right and in some ways capital and having an availability of capital um to be able to invest and you know bring great people onto your team and and things like that and uh is, is really valuable uh but in some ways it's sort of a distraction from kind of like the core customer and and focusing on them yeah so if you're not if you're not focused on kind of like the customer and then you're and, and making sure that you provide like a stable platform to support the customer, um, then everything else is kind of window dressing. I'm immediately sort of thinking about the, where my mind goes is the like the um, Republicans in name only, like the rhinos, whatever is like we're like a finos, like founders in name only. Like yeah. I'm I'm excited about being a founder because I want the title of founder, yeah. but I'm not actually serious about building a sustainable company or CEO and, too or CEO, yeah. right? And people that take it seriously uh, have more intentionality about building a business, and, and they're more likely to succeed. And we know this across public markets, but what we see is t- two things. Um, it's not usually really sexy headlines across TechCrunch to talk about how serious Mark Zuckerberg and other iconic founders behind the scenes actually take this stuff and thinking about vision and how capital and resources help align to make that vision successful because like, it's just not sexy headlines along the way. But these iconic founders take this stuff very seriously. I think the other piece which I thought of as you were making comment is just because you're a founder doesn't mean you also have to be the CEO. Somebody has to be the CEO. You can't just ignore the responsibilities of like money and accounting and capital and finance and people and operations. Like it's okay not to be CEO. You can be really passionate about building a product, about solving customer problems and not be the the CEO. Um, and there's lots of examples of of this happening and and that's also a totally viable path. But if you do step in the CEO role, that means you, your shareholders, your employees, your customers expected to be doing CEO stuff. And this is like an important part, if not one of the most important parts about the CEO stuff. We we hear mostly in, in the in the news and sort of all of the headlines are around people who are like spending money with wild abandoned, uh, not being very not being very thoughtful. But if you actually peel, peel that back and look at like some of the most successful businesses, they're really focused on cost. You know, they're really focused on where their where their money is being spent, how it's being spent, um, making sure it's being allocated towards the right people and the right initiatives. And, you know, for me, that's actually a really exciting thing about being CEO is focusing on like understanding, like, what are we actually spending our money on? And there's a lot of things that you discover as you're going through and looking at SaaS spend and, and contracts and things like that. You're like, yeah, we can we can definitely be improving things. There's a little bit where there's like a transition where there's a new CEO where there's kind of like a, a period where you're kind of like reevaluating or after you um you change the amount of people on your team, um things like that. You might need to you know reshore sort of the uh, the contract sizes and things like that. This is kind of a nerdy thing to say, but there's really something exciting about being like a steward of capital, you know, and feeling like this isn't just something to to spend and just like throw around. It's like this is something to be like really serious with 
and actually focus on doing like the most good with like the least. The world can change really quickly. And, and we've seen that happen again and again. The more prepared you are and the more intentional and conscious you are about the decisions that you make can generate a lasting company and a meaningful, enduring company. Just something, again, looking back and at failures that are avoidable. Um, it's not, do we choose between this is a blue button or red button? That's an easily changeable decision. But hiring people and having to let people go are emotionally draining and distracting. And not having a viable business and being dependent upon fundraising forever and not having a plan to ever come off of the venture capital sort of wheel um, is stressful and anxiety inducing. Um, and soon you go from having long, beautiful hair like you to being bald and gray like me. Um, and that is can be more avoidable uh, than not. I personally love accounting and finance. It comes with like this really stigma of boring. And I would argue that like the traditional accounting is pretty boring. It was invented 100 years ago to determine financial health for businesses that were really, really old. And it's not made in a way that lets you explore. And so especially for like technical founders or curious founders, we've created a system where you can understand your financial health. Like imagine if you could truly understand your personal health. Like it's just not possible. We haven't learned enough yet about human biology and science to truly understand. We have markers. Still soon. You, you can yeah. actually understand your financial health in like a couple hours with Puzzle. You can explore it and understand it. And then we'll just do other cool stuff like... We'll track your spending. What's recurring spend? What's new spend? What are new vendors that are like big? What's big mean? I don't know. Set your own big. Maybe it's more than 10%. Maybe it's $5,000. Maybe it's $100. Maybe it's $10,000. And so we just give you this ongoing real-time tracking of your health. And you can know it down to the penny. Uh, it's like really fun and incredible. Once you start realizing that this capability can be solved with software and design and AI in a way that hasn't been done before... It's impossible not to be more intentional about wanting to build an enduring company because you can see it's possible. You're not just hoping that this thing is going to work. You can actually see with numbers how you can get to or what the challenges are to get there. Um, and I, I think it's fun, but again, that's why I'm building this company. Um, I'm not very creative or invented, but I really just want to understand in real time all the time how the company's doing. And I want to be able to not have to ask anybody else to explain it to me. I just want to click and understand and explore. It's clear sometimes when you talk to founders when they're early on with their ideas that they maybe don't love their thing as much as you love accounting. How, <laughs> how important do you think that is um, to love the thing that you're doing versus it seems like there are some people who are really good at just loving building businesses and they kind of fall in love with like the thing that's happening, the thing that they're working on. And they seem to be doing pretty well. Um, but but it seems like they're people who kind of like burn for the thing where this is like they really just love it. Um, they seem to obviously like create some incredible companies as well. Do you think that's a personality thing or do you think that like if you don't truly love like the the area that you're in out of the gates, it's kind of a no go? I mean, you probably have a better answer for this. You see, I have my experience of my investments, my companies, mm -hmm. my YC batch, my sort of alumni advisory um, sort of time. It depends on what the vision is and it depends on how long it takes to achieve that vision. And so if you are a founder that is building a big, long, enduring company and you're not really excited about what you're doing and curious about what you're doing, you'll probably just 
get tired and bored along yeah. the way. Uh, and so if you're building a legacy generational ambitious company, you really have to be passionate about it because every day, like you can have the worst day, you can get hammered again and again. It's like Rocky Balboa. Like Rocky Balboa wasn't the best boxer. He just got hit and kept getting up and kept getting up. That's what it feels like founder life almost all the time for 10 years doing that. It's painful. Um, there are other opportunities also that are like time-based or like inflection point-based that are fast flips and you can build a business, create a niche and sell it. That's also totally okay. And those don't require endurance. It actually like speed and operational excellence and probably having a network of who to sell it to is a good idea. Or we've seen people leave big companies because they aren't focused on this one thing that they're really passionate about and they go build it almost as like an R&D and they've taken the risk and they compensate and sell it back to like the company along the way. All of those are great paths to creating a job, being exciting. I don't think there's any wrong path. But if you can't sell that company, like what else are you going to do? Um, because if you could flip something up really quickly, yeah. chances are somebody else can spin something up really quickly. Uh, and so again, it's like, what what are the options? It's it's high risk, high reward. But if it only takes a year to try and flip and sell something, like, okay, that's okay. It seems like in, in ODF, when I look at the founders who are doing really well, um, it seems like sometimes they kind of enter this explore phase where they're kind of just like putting something out into the world just to get like the the mechanism and the muscle going. But ultimately, that's usually not the thing that ends up being the thing that they build. Maybe it's the first or second or third attempt uh, or the second or third or fourth attempt. I think a great example of this, you know, the Finch guys, Yeah, they started out, I think they went through about four ideas before they landed on what Finch is today. And they, they, the first idea was like, uh, an app to let fortune tellers run their business. You know, it's <laughs> like, it's like not anything that I think that any of them wanted to work on long-term, but there was some benefit of like putting something out into the world, like talking to some customers. And then I think that the only way that that goes wrong is if you stick with it, but that was just a way for them to test, like working together because they hadn't worked together before they met through on deck. And I think that when you, when you, get that opportunity to just put something out and just see sort of like, how do you like working with the person? How does it feel to like go and talk to customers and like relay that information to your co-founder if you're both taking different calls? It seems like that works. And then ultimately they had a bunch of affinity for the employment data from their past work and sort of their interests. So ultimately it seems like they're building something that they truly have just a ton of passion for and interest in, uh, but they didn't go directly there. And I think that maybe there's some value in taking the the circuitous route as long as you end up in a place that, you know, ultimately you do have that level of like staying power for. There's no one way to success. That's what's the fun part about being a founder uh, and figuring out what's passionate. And so there's some things that are sort of very unique time-based. So I, I can think of an example like Plaid. Plaid existed because Yodley didn't believe in product-led growth and Intuit had a version of it and they shut it down. Now, Plaid could have existed in other places, but they created a massive, incredible company, and the timing was perfect for that opportunity at that literally that month to be able to do something like that. Now, I don't have a ton of backstory there, sure. but like I know from, from that aspect. Gusto was in our YC batch a decade ago. They were an ACH API until a couple weeks before the batch and turned into Gusto. Now, I don't know how passionate they were about small business payroll. They built an incredible product. They became passionate about it because they saw the impact that they could have. But that was a pivot in the yeah. middle of YC from the original one, similar um, to that. And there's people who have 
fundamental pain that they experience like the Collinson brothers who are starting Stripe. And they were like, why is it so hard? Or Jack Dorsey starting Square. Like, why can't this art vendor take my credit card? I can't, I don't have to carry $10,000 cash to buy this art. Why can't developers just start and build companies? And so they felt this pain like in, in, implicitly inside. First of all. Was I as excited about accounting now as I was a couple years ago? Like, not really. Yeah. I was excited about math. I was excited about software. I wanted a big, ambitious idea. I wanted to take on some titans of business. It was a pain that I felt scaling companies. I interviewed 100 other founders. They were also, and CFOs and accounts, they also sort of experienced this pain. So I saw the business opportunity there, um, but it still took me another month or two to decide that like this was going to be the thing that I felt like I could spend 10 years or longer building. And the realization for me in the way that I wanted to build a company was, while I could build out the model and build out the hypotheses and what we needed to solve to make puzzle work, the thing that I couldn't get over was why me and like why now? Um, and when we started to think about the why now, turning accounting into a system of financial intelligence and building a design in a UX that could make it more approachable, that became the why now. Uh, like, Intuit is anything but intuitive. <laughs> and NetSuite was built 25 years ago, and it feels like they haven't had a product manager in 24 years and 364 days from then. So that sort of saw this like opportunity design. But why me? Like, Why Sasha Orloff? Why was I passionate about it? And it wasn't until we started thinking about how do we make accounting something that you don't need to have a background in accounting or finance to make this your superpower in building your business? And that's what got me excited because I saw the problem. I knew that. I saw, I figured out how we could solve it. But it was about helping people. And when I, I the thing that I realized what I get excited about are the things that are the economic drivers. And the major economic drivers are the stock market which I think is kind of rigged. So it didn't really see an in to disruption there. Homeownership, because we created a bunch of tax incentives, but massive capital markets requirements tons of to regulation. make that work and tons yeah. of regulation. And accounting, like the ability to invest or work and earn equity in private markets and entrepreneurship. It's one of the major drivers of our economy. And it started by passionate people who want to solve a problem who don't usually have a background in accounting and finance. And I've seen over and over again that you can't afford a massively talented finance and accounting team. And it's very expensive and it's confusing, so you don't do it. And this leads to both the downfall, it limits the upside of what's possible. And again, you have a responsibility as a CEO to your employees, to your partners, to your customers, to your vendors, to your investors. These are things where you can actually make better decisions, but we just don't have the tools to do it. And um, the way that it's solved today sitting around an executive room with all of my fancy executives along my vast companies or the people working on is everybody gives me an answer and the finance and accounting team always write down the question and come back to me in three days with an answer. Well, it's hard to have a meaningful discussion in a boardroom as a board member, as a CEO around an executive table if I can't talk about the money of a company in real time and what's changing and why. And so that was the first thing we solved was I want anybody with regardless of their background, to feel like they have the most powerful finance team supporting them in an intuitive way 
that's not blocking them from making decisions, empowering them to make decisions, and they have access to the data themselves. And so that was what got me excited. It turns out that the measurement of health is accounting, and that what got me really excited about accounting. Um, but it's the why, the part that gets me really passionate. And when that clicked, I went home and told my wife, and she was like, "I look, of course you're starting the company. Uh, we don't have any other choice. Like this is what you were going to do." And, and that's where I set off to for this this stage of my life's work. It's really it's really cool because I mean ODF's goal is to help more people start the best startups and you're doing the same thing in a lot of ways. You're helping people build the best startups by understanding the health of their company and being able to communicate that to, you know, team other team members, um to investors. Uh it it really seems like one of the core components of being able to build a great company. So and I, I, that's what attracted me to ODF and why I wanted to be a part of it, why I hired a bunch of my team from ODF, um, why I did a lot of my early customer research. Because when you can take ambitious founders who are passionate about an idea or exploring ideas and really try and understand what is possible and what their ambitions are and help enable them, like that gives me a lot of personal satisfaction. I've built two pretty successful companies, pretty big companies. And this one is really about trying to design something to help that next generation of people. And so I love my time at ODF and I'm incredibly excited to partner with ODF and help power that next generation of founders and help them build the best companies they possibly can, both through software and through my time. And I'm excited to have started my journey and be able to come back and now be able to partner with you guys is like just, I'm so proud. Awesome, man. Well, I am too. I'm super excited for this partnership. I'm so excited for more people to get control of actually understanding their, their, their financial health. So thank you for being a part of this and thank you for being a part of the community. Thank you for starting ODF and making it such a force in the startup community. It's awesome. Thanks for joining us in the deep end. If you enjoyed your stay, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends and colleagues to help grow the show with us. We've also got show notes and more episodes available at ideas.beyonddeck.com. See you next time.